have the pleasure this morning of sharing a testimony of mine with you. If we haven't already met, my name is Kristen, and my husband Jeff and I are currently attending the training school in Southern California to become officers in the Salvation Army. I first felt the Holy Spirit leading me to officership when I was 14 years old at Youth Councils, which is a retreat for teens and young adults. And I was only 14, so that calling was sort of put on the back burner. I was, I was really young, so I just backburnered it for a long, long time, and life went on. I met my husband when I was 18 years old, and we fell in love. Well, I fell in love. <laughs> and then I eventually convinced him to love me, too. We were married a year later. Well, a year and a half, two. Okay, he says two years, I don't know. And uh, we worked really hard to put Jeff through college all by ourselves. Um, Luckily, he's very smart, and he got pretty much a uh, full academic ride to Chapman University, so that helped a lot. After Jeff graduated, we started a family. Uh, Our first daughter was born only three days after he graduated. He said, no kids in college, so I'm a really great planner, and our first was born three days after he graduated. (laughs) Uh, So... We were building a real estate business while he was in college. Um, Our clients didn't know that he was going to school. We were just doing life. They thought that he was older. He grew a a beard so that he would look older than he actually was, and we faked it till we made it. So eventually, we took our stake as top 1% of realtors in the nation. And for 14 years, we worked very hard in the real estate industry, and we built an incredible life together with our four kids. But the Holy Spirit started stirring in our hearts, as he does, and I guess this is where I should pause, and I'll probably start getting a little preachy, because I want you to hear what the Holy Spirit said to my husband and I. When we cross the line of faith as believers, We are declared holy, is what the word says. We call this justification, which is a big fancy theological word for redeemed, set apart, right, saved. But we're not only declared holy, we're also called to ministry. That's every single one of us. The Great Commission found in Matthew 28, 19, instructs us to go out and to make disciples. That's not a suggestion or a request. It's a job. We have a job to do as believers, and that is to spread the word of God and the good news of Jesus Christ to all corners of the world and everywhere in between. Don't misunderstand me. Not all people are crazy and are called to be officers in the Salvation Army, and not all people are called to actually lead a church or to be church planters, or to go um, as missionaries overseas. But all people who claim Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they are called to go out and make disciples with whatever platform God provides them with. That means all of you. Yeah. Yes. For Jeff and I, the Holy Spirit 
had spoken to each of us several times throughout the years about officership, but we never really felt like the time was now. And to be honest with you, we were really comfortable. We had a great life. There was nothing wrong with our life. And I guess if I'm being honest with you, I thought that officership was for people who didn't have anything else. <laughs> Until 2017. And we'd always used our platform as real estate agents as well as we could. Our clients always knew that we loved the Lord. We gave back. We tithed regularly. We did all of the things. But God spoke very clearly to us at this time in 2017 that it was time for us to leave our comfortable life behind and follow him into the great unknown. The night, before, or the night that God spoke to us, I felt the enemy fighting very hard. He, I was up until about 4 a.m. with just lies and doubt and uncertainty just flooding my heart and my mind. And he was saying things to me like, my kids would never adapt to life as officers' children. As a mom, he was attacking me in the area that he felt he could influence me the most with my babies. If I didn't have friends, spiritual mentors, and the strong faith that I have, I probably would have caved to those attacks and the trickery. I want you to hear that because it's important that we form a strong foundation before the enemy strikes so that we can stand firm. I called a trusted friend the next day, it was like three hours later, and I believe that the Holy Spirit spoke through her like he often does with our good friends. And she said to me, Kristen, the reason Satan is getting so defensive is because you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. He doesn't like that. So push forward and drown him out by singing praises to God. And so that's what I did. It was my Peter walking on the water moment. I knew that Jeff and I really had to fix our eyes on Jesus because if we took our eyes off of him, we would cave. We would fall away. We had a good life. Actually, we had an amazing life. We had fancy cars, fancy homes. We had anything that we wanted. We could provide anything we wanted to our kids. And they knew Jesus. So that's a plus. It was clear that God wasn't going to just not bless us if we didn't follow him into ministry. He cares for us. He loves us. He always took care of us. But following God means laying down what's good and picking up what's great. We come alive. We come truly alive. We figure out who we really are when we're living within God's will and doing what we were created to do. God not only held open every door for us, and I told him that he had to do that. I said, God, you got to hold every door open. But he gently ushered us through every door. Everything worked out. We felt unprepared, inadequate, but God spoke to us through all of those insecurities, and he reminded us 
in Hebrews 12, verse 13, uh, Hebrews 12, bless you, verse 21, that God will equip us with everything good for doing his will. So if we don't feel ready, if we don't feel able, that's normal because he's going to provide what we need. So we get asked this a lot. Probably everybody we meet asks us this. Was it hard leaving behind a multi-million dollar business, selling real estate? Was that difficult? And our answer has always consistently been, nope. We're just selling priceless real estate in heaven now. And the truth is, we haven't second-guessed it, not even once. I look forward to the future with hope and with joy and with security in knowing that wherever we go, God goes before us. Thank you for letting me share a little part of my story with you and read our today's scripture, which is found in Joshua chapter 23, verses uh, 1 through 16. Joshua 23, verses 1 through 16. And I'm going to be reading out of the NIV version this morning. Joshua 23, 1 through 16. After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered, between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the name of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you, one of you routes a thousand because the Lord, your God, fights for you, just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord, your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you. Now I'm about to go away, go the way of all the earth, you know with all your heart and soul 
that not one of all of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things that he has threatened until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land that he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he has commanded you, and go out and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. This is God's word, and we believe it this morning. Just being good to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, sometimes you don't know how good you have it until something's taken away from you, right? And sometimes the routine of going to church on Sunday can become just that, a routine. And I think in the COVID time, I mean, in California, there was months where we didn't go to an actual church service. It was all online. You come in here and hear emotional singing the most, you know, song you've seen a thousand times. Um, we call that we're worshiping corporately. And you've probably heard this word corporately before. And that, that I never understood corporately. I think corporation, I think a franchise, right? But corporately just means a church body, fellowship of believers. There's something special about coming together with other fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and worshiping together. So I have the privilege of uh, wrapping up the book of Joshua. Um, last week, um, Lieutenant uh, spoke of the Israelites and their battle with uh, Jericho. And today we're going to wrap up the book uh, with Joshua's farewell address to the leaders of Israel. In this address... Uh, Joshua really drives home one main theme, and this is God's continuing faithfulness. This address that Christian read was kind of given in three rounds, repetitive. Each round recalled God's promises fulfilled, and then God's promises that are available to them in the future. Then Joshua issued a key uh, command to obey, uh, followed by a warning of disobedience. Sometimes we need to really look at where we've come with God to really understand his faithfulness and his love for us. I want to give you an example here. There's a woman named Michelle Johnson, and she was staying at a hospital with her son who just gone undergone a major surgery. Um, it was the morning. She was kind of walking slowly to the cafeteria. She just boarded the elevator, and she realized she was on the sixth floor. And what was significant about this, she, as she looked out the window, this was a, a, a scene she had seen um, for about six weeks. You see, 35 years prior, she was in a major car accident. And in this car accident, afterwards, the doctor said, you're probably not going to walk. And if you do walk, you're probably going to have arthritis. And if, even if that happens, five liters from there, you're going to need a hip replacement. Right? She had prayed faithfully for a full physical restoration. 35 years later, she's standing here. None of that came true. None of that, what the doctor said, came true. Because she had been prayed, praying full faithfully, and God restored her. And she just was brought to tears and reminding how faithful God had been. Because, again, sometimes we forget, right? Do you need a reminder of God's faithfulness in your life today? Wouldn't it be cool if we could sit down with some of the people in the Bible, the men and women, and talk to them about their memories and their experiences with God? I picture this sometime. It would be awesome to sit down with Joseph and talk about his journey from, from prison cell uh, to the palace. Or maybe Daniel and how his... Um, his night in the lion's den and how God was faithful in keeping him uh, safe. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, if they could show us their clothes that they were wearing in the furnace, I mean, this had to be some special clothes, right? God was faithful to protect them. But sometimes, in the busyness of life, we forget to remember his faithfulness. Now, if you don't hear anything else today, 
I want you to know of God's continuing faithfulness in your life and in mine. And knowing God is faithful, I want you to be obedient to his commands. We're going to look at some of the elements in Joshua's farewell address. Um, Joshua wants us to remember the past. We're going to start off with verses 1 through 6. And since Cadet Christian just read them all, I'm not going to read them back to you. Um, It should be fresh in our minds. So we don't know for sure the date and location of this final address of Joshua. It was probably in his uh, retirement home in Timnath-Sharaf. Uh, looking at a timeline, most scholars agree he was about 110 years old, and um, he knew that he was nearing death. And as you do that, you, you, you tend to want to impart your final thoughts, final wisdom. He has these final thoughts and warnings for the leaders of Israel. So he gathered them all together. These were the leaders. These were the judges, the officials, the elders of the community. These were the people that had the responsibility to govern the nation of Israel. They set an example for the people to follow. They administered justice in that land. He wanted to encourage them to possess the land entirely. Now, what does it mean to possess the land entirely? God had delivered the promised land. Unfortunately, it wasn't vacant. It was occupied with some tenants still, right? God had delivered it, but there were still some bad actors present. Why were they bad? Because they served other other gods. Other gods, little g, not capital G, right? And they had the propensity to sway the Israelites away from God, capital G. So, it's the promised land, but there's still some work to do. And they would need to evict all the tenants, if you will. Joshua starts by asking the leaders to remember what God has done for them. So verse 3 says, You yourselves have seen everything the Lord God has done to all the nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land and the nations that remain. The nations I conquered, Joshua saying I conquered, between Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea of the West. So, first off, Joshua gives glory to God. He's stating that it was God that fought for you. Now, a lesser leader would say, guys, look what I did for you. Don't forget it. Don't Remember what I did for you here, right? But Joshua knows that it's God's strength that they were able to be successful in, in entering the promised land. Alongside this is a clear indication. Um, it's a clear indication that God does all the fighting, and um, Joshua's claim... His next claim is, I conquered, right? So we have, God did this for you, but then Joshua, then Joshua says, I also allotted this land for you. Now, you might think this is a strong uh, contradiction to saying, well, God did it, and now he's saying, I did it for you. But this was actually predicted in chapter uh, 1123, if we go back. Uh, chapter 1123 said, so Joshua took the entire land, just as the Lord directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. So these claims appear to contradict each other, giving God the glory and then taking some glory from himself. Did God do the fighting or did Joshua? No contradiction here exists, actually. This is just showing you how things work in the divine economy. You see, all that happens, happens with God's permission. But it requires our participation. You know, we're not, we're not robots. We have to participate in this, right? In verse 5, Joshua outlines God's promise for the future. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you, and you will take possession of their land, as the Lord your God promised you. Again, we see Joshua putting the power on God. You see, Israelites, like many of us, suffer from short-term memory loss. I'm sure my wife can attest to this. God delivers them out of Egypt with many miracles performed. And I'm not going to go over them. 
but they repeatedly forget God's strength while they're wandering around the desert for 40 years, right? At one point, they say, man, it'd be better for us to be, you know, having that stew back in Egypt than it would be us wandering around the desert here. They're running low on food. They forget the mighty God they serve, not remembering what, they, what he's capable of. They got thirsty, and they thought they were going to die of thirst. Joshua wanted these Israelites, um, he didn't want them to forget who it was that delivered them to the promised land, who it was that delivered them out of Egypt. They could quickly slip into a notion that they were a mighty military powerhouse of their own accord, right? So I would say this passage hits home with me. When I first read of these Israelites, I thought, how could these guys be so forgetful, you know? God just delivered them out of Egypt with all these mighty wonders, parted the Red Seas, and yet here they are. And it made, you know, made it rain, manna, quail, anything, right? Yet every step of the way, they forgot about his blessings in their life. I called my brother, Joel. He's a theologian. He knows the Bible really well. He's a little further along in his faith journey than me. And like Kristen said, it's always important to have people that are further along in your faith journey. And I said, what's up with these Israelites? They're, they're so forgetful. He quickly pointed out, Jeff, you know better than these Israelites. They're an, they're an example. They're an example of us today of what not to do. Yet we get stuck in that same pattern. The same pattern is translated into my real estate career. Okay, So early on, God humbled us greatly, down to our last penny. You know, it wasn't, we didn't start off with the top 1%. You know, we had to work there. So it, he humbled us down to our very last pennies, but I'll tell you what it did. It drew us closer to him. They say there's no atheist in foxholes, right? When, when, when stuff gets rough, you know, we tend to find God real easily. What did this do for us? We began to tithe faithfully. We went back to church religiously. We did all the things we're supposed to do. God blessed our business, and the blessings increased. And then I began to take credit for it. Wow, look how good I am. Look what I'm doing, right? Again, God humbled me, you know? And he has a, he has a tendency to do that. And what do I do? I go crawling back to his lap until I get it. So our business didn't stabilize until we became Christ-centered, giving him the glory for every win, giving him the glory for every transaction. When we put Christ at the center of our business, and we tithe faithfully, and we followed all of God's commands, he blessed us beyond what we could ever imagine. Amen. People would ask us, how can I grow your business like you, Jeff and Christian? What is your secret to success? What's the secret sauce? We tell them, it's not by us, it's by God's grace and not our own works. We'd tell them, and we'd sit on a panel, and they'd interview each person and ask them what to do. We'd say, well, first, got to start our day off with devotions. you got to pray before every meeting. you got to tie 10% off the top. Don't try to factor in the taxes. You know, Give God the glory in all you do. And this is a, a sharp difference from what the world gives people as answers. This is what Joshua wanted us to understand, not to forget. God blessed this nation, and he would continue to bless them if they gave him the glory. Um, I'm going to read a supporting scripture here. So in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7, verse 9, let me just read this to you. We see a similar idea. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God, keeping his covenant to love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. And I, I can't help but go to verse 10. But those who hate him, he will repay uh, to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay their face to those who hate him. So it says he's faithful to, to uh, fulfill his promises to a thousand generations, right? It also gives us an idea if we're not faithful, what happens. So this 
idea is repeated over and over in Scripture. And if you know anything about the Bible, if something's repeated more than once or two or three times, it's, it's further emphasis. It's something you've got to pay a lot of attention to. We need to remember the past. God has always come through on his promises. God has always been faithful to provide, and he's never let us down. He's never made a promise he didn't keep. God is faithful to us, but his faithfulness doesn't come without exception. So God's faithful to blessing us depends on our obedience to him, which brings me kind of to my next point, that we need to remain obedient. We're going to look at verses 6 through 11 now. Here we see God's promises to continue to provide blessings and victories if the nations remain obedient to him and his word, the law of Moses. Now, we're not under the law of Moses. We're under the law of Christ uh, rather than the commandment of the Moses. But the essence of the, the law of Moses and, and under Christ is really the same. It's love for God and neighbor. And that's really what the whole Bible boils down to, love, love for God and neighbor. To love the Lord your God implies an absolute loyalty to him. No matter what, in the words of John Wesley, a Christian can aspire to nothing greater than the humble, gentle, patient love of God and man ruling all the tempers, words, and actions, the whole heart and the whole life. You see, they are given strict commands not to associate with the nations uh, uh, that, that remain in the land. Remember, they have not fully occupied the land. God is promising to go with them and help them conquer the rest of the land. And drive out everybody that's still there. And the Israelites are, are, are warned not to take on the gods and the customs of the locals. Now, don't be confused by this. God isn't saying you can only hang out with a Christian. Or you can only hang out with someone that's holy of holy, right? Not sinners. God is warning them not to take on the customs and the gods of the local people. And uh, he knows that the Israelites are weak-minded, just like we are today. See, it's one thing to go and visit a group of outlaws and witness to them, right? It's a whole other thing to go and live with them permanently and assimilate with them. God had meals with thieves and prostitutes, but he didn't buy a house right next door to them and and, and invite them to live with him, right? It's, It's a little bit of a difference. God wanted to remove all temptation from them because he knows how weak they are. He wanted to cleanse that land of the wickedness. The people of the land were bad news. I mean, we're talking about killing babies to make it rain. Temple prostitution for fertility. There was a God for war. There was God for literally anything you can think of. There was all sorts of lawlessness. Now, you've got to be careful who you associate with. God knew how attractive some of these foreign gods would appear and how, how some of these practices would appear. Let me give you an example of what this might look like today. Or just kind of an easier way of looking at it. As a Christian, we're set apart, right? We're up on a hill. We've got that light. We're a lampstand. So you can picture yourself on a chair. My wife always gives this as an example to our children. If you're standing on a chair and you're trying to pull up the people around you, it's a lot harder for you to pull them up to your chair. It's a lot easier for them to pull you down, right? So you're trying to pull these friends up and trying to come to your spot because you're holy. You're set apart. You follow a different lifestyle. But it's a lot easier for them to pull you down to the ground with them. I'll say it another way. You are the sum of the people you hang out with. If your 10 best friends love to get drunk and fight and talk about hateful things, these are the kind of people you associate with. Eventually, that's going to rub off on you. You're the sum of the people you hang out with. If you go to the barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut eventually. Does that make sense? I think you get the point here. God was warning the Israelites not to associate with the people of the land. 
he knew it would be hard to live among them and remain obedient to the law. It would be too easy to say, you know, sway a little to the left or a little to the right. And spoiler alert, if you keep reading, this is exactly what happens. The people don't drive out, uh, the Israelites do not drive out the people of the land, and they do end up worshiping the other gods. And this leads them right back to where they started, enslaved by a greater nation. We see another similar um, depiction of this in 1 Corinthians 15.33, which says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And James 4.4 says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. God loves us, and he is so faithful to us. He helps us when we seek those things. He is always with us to guide us in our decisions on a daily basis. But are you always faithful to him? Do you love the Lord more than anything else? Do you tell others about him? Do you guide your children in their friendships? Are you careful in protecting your heart in your own friendships? There's a terrible price to pay for having ungodly friendships. If you embrace the things and people that are harmful, you will be hurt. But God will allow it to bring you full circle and back to him. He doesn't waste anything. Remain obedient and God will remain faithful to you. So let's recap so far. Joshua has told us to remember the past. He's also told us to remain obedient. And now he's going to give us a retribution warning. All right, kid, uh, Jeff, I don't know what retribution is. I've heard this word before. Webster's uh, Dictionary defines retribution as punishment inflicted on someone as vengeance for a wrong or criminal act. Better illustrated, I'll give you an example. There was a semi-truck driver, and he had stopped off. He was hungry. He stopped off for a cheeseburger. He was ready to eat his cheeseburger, and a motorcycle gang comes in. One of the gang members insults him, takes his cheeseburger away, and eats it. What are you going to do? Truck driver simply walks out of the truck stop. Gang member says to the waitress, well, he's not much of a man, is he? The waitress says, he's not much of a driver either. He just backed up over uh, 16 uh, motorcycles out there. (laughs) So that's a silly example, but you kind of get the idea how retribution works. Uh, We're going to look at verses 12 through 13 now. And they come with a strong warning. We are told to remain obedient to the law. Now Joshua is telling us what will happen if we don't remain obedient. The Israelites have been turned in the right direction. They're facing God. So rebellion would involve turning away from God. Because I want you to understand, it's not one bad decision that turns you away from God. It's a full willful disobedience to turn away, right? So Joshua emphasized the willfulness of the rebellion as turning away. He also specified that turning away, what it would look like. It would look like political alliances with the nations that remain, and it would uh, also be intermarriage. Um, You say, well, why can't I intermarry? And this is just an idea here. If you marry an atheist, it's going to be hard to get to church, right? If you marry somebody that serves Muhammad, it's going to be hard to serve Jesus, right? And and God knows that we're easily swayed. Happy wife, happy life, you know? If my wife's serving Muhammad, guess who I'll be serving, right? So that was the idea behind intermarriage. The danger of rebellion was twofold, for it not only involved significant encounters like the intermarriage, but also involved the daily day, the day-to-day interactions, the things that we don't necessarily, you know, intermarriage is, okay, that's, that's, a, that's a big thing, I can see that, but that's the day-to-day interactions that start to wear on us. 
that's where he says associate with him. Do not associate with him. Israel's rebellion would mean the loss of God's support. Joshua leaves no doubt about the sorry consequences. Verse 13 says, you may be sure. And this puts further emphasis on the point here. A simple way to deal with the remaining enemies would be accommodation. You know the age-old adage. If you can't beat them, might as well join them, right? Uh, this would be disastrous, for it would cut off Israel from the love and support of God. Without God's restraining and refining influence in their lives, the enemy would become snares and traps, subtly enticing Israel into fatal associations. Once trapped, Israel would experience harsh domination, a cruel whip dragging in its back, total defeat, thorns tearing at its eyes. What began as a simple accommodation would result into the total undoing and loss of all that God had blessed them with. We are warned that God will exact his retribution on us if we willfully turn away from him. We see this elsewhere in scripture with King Solomon. Now Solomon had a thing for the ladies, okay? He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I can keep one woman happy. I don't know how he did it with 1,000. These wives were more than just a wife-goer, a concubine. They represented political alliances, right? You'd marry the princess here, and now you have a political alliance with that. But God said not to make form alliances with these nations, right? Long story short, his thousand-woman tribe of concubines and wives, they convinced them to build temples so they can worship. They want to worship their God. Solomon, come on, honey, build me a, you know, a temple over here. And what ends up happening? Solomon ends up worshiping these, uh, these gods too. I'm going to read a scripture here. First um, Kings 11, 11 through 13. First Kings 11, 11 through 13. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. What I love here is that God was faithful to his promise to Solomon to take that land away, but he was still faithful to David. David has since passed, but David was a faithful servant. He turned away at one point, but he turned back to God. And God is still remains faithful to David to many generations on from there. Because God is always faithful. If you hold fast to God, he promises to be with you. And if you turn your back on him, he promises retribution or discipline. God seeks your response to his love. I say God is a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on you. But he will willfully, if you willfully reject and turn away from his love, worshiping other gods, instead you will find God's punishment in your life. And again, one wrong decision is not turning your back on God. It's a willful, you know what, I'm just going in the other direction. I know this is the way I'm supposed to be going. You know, because we make mistakes along the way. And God knows that. He wants us to strive for perfection, but he knows that we're going to, it's kind of this graph, right? We're we're going towards God through little mistakes along the way, but we're trending towards him. It's when we're trending away from him. Verses uh, 14 through 16 reiterates what's discussed in this full address. Joshua repeats all the promises God's made to his people. Um, he has fulfilled Joshua warns of God's retribution, letting the Israelites know um, that God is just as faithful to bless as he is to discipline, right? And finally, he calls them to remain obedient, or God's anger will burn against them. 
So taking Joshua's lead, we need to remember the past, we need to remain obedient, and we need to heed the retribution warning. God has been faithful in our lives and to people in the Bible. He's been faithful to you and me. Are you quick to forget the past? I know I am. When life gets hard, are you quick to forget what God has done for you in the last three years, 20 years, 30 years? Are you like the Israelites who forget what a mighty God they serve and go off and serve other gods? When we say other gods, it's, it's money, it's, it's social media, it's, it's anything that, that takes our attention and love away from God, right? It's not these little golden things we're going to put on our desk and worship, right? It takes on many forms. It's whatever has our attention more than God. Sometimes following God's set of rules in our lives is not what's most popular in the world. There are other ways that the world condones, not God's ways. Cheating to get ahead at work just so you can put food on the table for your children. Surrounding yourself with bad actors, right? Marrying someone that's maybe not a, a, a non-believer, someone that you're not necessarily equally yoked with. We're warned about these things. God knows what happens when we go down these paths, which is why he calls us to remain obedient. You gotta know the creator of the universe, governor, preserver of all things, he's gotta have the recipe for the best cake, the recipe for the best life, right? He's created everything. He knows exactly our little path and where we need to be. But we're warned several times of God's retribution. He is faithful to discipline us just as much as he is faithful to bless us. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd rather receive God's blessing than his discipline. Discipline's uncomfortable. God is faithful to bless. He's faithful to curse. Which one do you want in your life? Obey God's commands in order to receive his blessings in your life. Um, The band and uh, Prince are going to come up right now. And um, we're not going to sing yet, but they're just kind of going to get in place. And uh, Prince was just going to play the piano for us in the background. I kind of want to just reflect on what we've talked about here. Take a moment to be still. I invite you to close your eyes and just kind of reflect with me. Can you picture some past blessings in your life? Can you remember times God was faithful in blessing you? Are there areas in your life that you're currently struggling to remain obedient to God's commands? Maybe you've given 90% of your life to God, but you haven't fully surrendered that extra 10%. There are parts of this world that have a grip on you. And things that really feel good temporarily, but you know they're wrong. God has the power to help you in these areas, and he wants your full obedience. Are you experiencing some discipline in your life from God right now? you got to know this. The Bible tells us God only disciplines the ones he loves. So if you're experiencing God's discipline in your life, it's because he loves you. And he knows you're not a lost cause. He only comes after the ones that he knows have a capacity to turn back towards him and love him. We're going to enter a time of prayer just here in your seats right now. Remain in your seats. And if there's a part of this prayer that kind of resonates with you, I pray you either just raise your hand or just say, yeah, me me too, God. You can whisper in your head, whisper in your lips. Let's close our eyes and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you humbly. We're in awe of what you do in our lives. And we pray that you give us the capacity to remember all the things you've done because it's often that we do forget. We pray when things don't go our way, Lord, 
that it's not something that causes a stumbling block in our life, but it's something that we can draw close to you. We don't say, oh, why, why me, God? But we say, okay, God, you can get me through this. I pray that you will always give us the strength to remain obedient. There's areas in our lives that you want us to surrender, Lord. I pray that you shine a light on these areas. You open up those closet doors and you encourage us to surrender these areas. And you give us the strength to resist temptation. God, it says we'll allow to be tempted, but you'll always give us a way out. Lord, you're faithful to bless and you're faithful to discipline. We want to be in your blessings. We want to be showered with blessings. Here in this congregation, in this church, in this city, in this state, Lord, we want your abundant blessings in our lives. And we know if we remain obedient to your will, we will experience we will experience your blessings, Lord. God, I pray if there's anyone here that wants help surrendering that last 10% of their life, or maybe they haven't even decided to cross that line of faith, Lord, that today you just give them that nudge that says, yes, me too, God. I want to follow you fully. I want to follow you wholly. I want to give you the, I want to give you full access to my life, Lord. You're the creator of the universe. You know what's best for me. I just surrender myself to you, Lord. And if there's someone here that wants to recommit and say, Lord, I've turned away, but I want to turn right back towards you, Lord. I pray that you just give them that confidence to just turn towards you, Lord. Help us to remember the past. Help us to remain obedient to your word, Lord. And if we're receiving discipline, Lord, help us just to learn from it and turn towards you, not away from you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to continue at a time.